I'm glad you're listening today. We're considering Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 35, and the Lord Jesus' teaching on the end times. In this passage, our Lord refers to the fig tree, and he speaks of its appearing in a specific time frame. We're going to consider what it is he was referring to and see that it has a significant application for our own lives today. Hello, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. As we take up consideration of Jesus' teaching on the end times, remember that as he taught these truths, he projected all his listeners into that time period. We're not to suppose that we won't be around at the end. We're to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ at his coming judgment. With that in mind, allow me a short promotion. We've built a new website focused at professing Christians called testyourtestimony.com. Testyourtestimony.com. It's an important site that will help you obey the command of God that we test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Jesus said when he returned that many would say, Lord, Lord, to him, and his response would be, depart from me, I never knew you. What an awful moment. One arrived at by a false presumption of saving faith. Testyourtestimony.com was developed so that an individual may have a true assurance of their salvation. Remember that site name and go there and please share it with someone else. Now to Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse. Having said all that, by the way, I'll just tell you, just if anyone's curious, I believe in what's called a pre-tribulation or rapture. I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming. I'm anticipating that I'll be raptured and be, if he should come and the tribulation should come upon us. My anticipation is that I'll be raptured out of that experience. We don't find this in this passage. I've not been preaching on it. I have a, a reason for why I believe this, and, and that's that the Bible reveals to us a certain sense of eminency of Christ's return for his people, that it could come at any time and at any moment. And it's not merely impending, it's eminent. You're death is impending, but I think most of you are here thinking that your death is not imminent, right? But the return of Jesus Christ for his people, the Bible reveals is imminent. And so if I am to hold to that view of the imminency of the return of the Lord Jesus, it seems to me most reasonable that I should consider that that return would be before the tribulation. It would be pre-tribulation. Otherwise, there's all kinds of other things that have to happen before he comes for me. Now listen, if I'm wrong, I'll still hold to the eminency of Christ's return. If I find myself in the middle of the tribulation, I'll think, well, he's going to come in the middle of the tribulation. I'm still waiting. It's eminent. And if I'm wrong and it goes to the very end of the tribulation, I'm still going to hold to the eminency of his return. But until we are in the middle of the tribulation and all these things are taking place, it could happen to me. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because I believe in the eminency of his return. That's just being practical here. I'm just being practical with you. And has nothing to do with what we're going to preach on this morning. But just in case you, just to add further confusion to what we're talking about this morning, I thought I would mention it. You're welcome. Well, let's look at this passage. The point is, and even what I've just said to you is helpful in running this exercise. The point is, we're to allow ourselves to be in this drill. We're to allow ourselves to consider these things. Christ is speaking to those who will experience it at the end of the age. He is directing their eyes upon it. They will have this text before them. They will see these truths. And yet he's saying you to James and John and Peter. And now he's saying you to us. We're to be in the drill. We're to see all these things as potentially coming upon 
ourselves. And now that we look at the passage, we have to ask a series of questions. And so this passage is a very difficult passage. I have to tell you that in studying it, that every single authority has somewhat of a different twist on where this passage is going and what they think it says. And you can almost anticipate what it is that they are going and the arguments going to use based on whatever their, in a sense, their broader theology is, influences how they read this passage. And then they bring to bear all of their kind of exegetical know-how on how to interpret scripture to come up with the result that you know they're going to come up with to a large extent because of their theological position. And so what do I want to say about this? If you don't agree with where I'm going to take you in this, this morning, then you're fine. You're in the company of a lot of people because not very many people agree with me on this one, all right? No one is going to get excommunicated from the church because I think, I think Joel has got it wrong here. But at the same time, I'm before God's word, I'm wanting to be under it and under its authority, and I must present it to you as I understand it and as I see it. Here are the questions that we need to answer. What does the fig tree represent? Here's another one. What is the time being referenced here? And another one would be, who makes up the generation that will not pass away? What does the fig tree represent? What is the time being referenced? Who makes a generation that will not pass away? Let's actually answer the question, what is the time that's being referenced here? Because that's where you have the greatest amount of consensus from those who study this passage. And what we can probably say is the most obvious answer is that within the context of what we've just read in this passage, the most obvious answer is that it's referencing that time in the middle of the tribulation when the abomination of desolation takes place and the Antichrist asserts himself in the temple as God, we're referring to that time up to the time in which Christ appears coming in the clouds. And so it's at the time of the abomination of desolation. It's at the time when the elect who are present are told to flee from Jerusalem to escape a great tribulation that is going to be coming upon them like history has never known or will ever know. It's a time when if it was not cut short, there would be no humans that would survive. And by the way, Daniel tells us that it's cut short because it only lasts for three and a half years. And Daniel makes it very plain to us. It's a time that includes the cosmic convulsions that take place just before the coming of Christ in judgment that he brings upon the earth and also before he comes to bring all the elect to mourn and repent at the sight of his coming and gathers them to himself. It's from the middle of the tribulation to the last moments before the coming of Christ. This is the time that is being referenced here and there will be some who will see these things take place. And Jesus is telling them that when they do, They can know that the gates of heaven will soon swing wide open and Christ will come in the clouds and he's told them this. His word is true and they can stand upon it and rest upon it. Heaven and earth will fade away, but you trust me, he's basically saying to them in that moment. You don't be deceived in this hour. You be on guard. You endure in the midst of this tribulation, in the midst of these trials. Whatever you face, whatever persecution comes upon you, I am coming. That's the basic idea here that he's communicating and he says it to Peter, James, and John. He says it to us. He says it to those who might be the ones who are reading this text in that hour. Now let's answer the other question, which I think is the more important question and maybe the more controversial question. It's what does this fig tree represent? What does this fig tree represent? And here what I must tell you is the most common answer that you'll find over and over again is that it merely represents a heads-up statement or counsel from the Lord Jesus. 
Basically what he's saying is, you know, the idea is this, that every little child in Israel knew that when winter had come to the end, everything began to warm up and the sap began to run in the different branches of the trees and they became pliable and the leaves began to form their buds on the tree that they knew the season was turning and they were turning out from winter and they were turning into summer and it's kind of nice to consider that. It means that every little child has had the same thrill that we still have today when we see that winter is over, spring is coming and summer's on its way and so basically, it's just saying, look, you just add these things together. You see these things are happening, and you just know the lesson basically is when you see certain things happening, you know that other things are soon to follow. When you see the branch becoming tender and the bud is, the tree is beginning to produce its leaves, just know that summer is coming in the same way, in the same way. When you see things like the abomination of desolation in the temple, when you see deceiving miracles of false prophets and antichrist and things like the sun and moon becoming dark, well then, heads up, know that Christ is coming. A little kind of obvious for me. Frankly, I have a problem if that's the interpretation of the text. I think that this is a reduction of this parable that is so overly simplified that although there is some truth in it, I think they miss the overall point. I don't think that Christ is merely saying things like, you know, when you see rain clouds, know that it's about to rain. And when you see the sun rising, know that the day is about ready to begin. And when you see the sun turn to blood, right? Or the moon turn to blood, know that my peering is right around the corner, right? I don't think that that is what Christ is proclaiming. There's a danger when you're reading the parables of Christ of reading too much into them, getting too much detail out of them, and you go off the rails doing that. But there's also a danger of reading too little. And... As we look at this passage, it may be true that in part the Lord Jesus is communicating this parable as a heads-up warning to know that they're moving into this time period and to also at that time give them some sense of encouragement. I think we'll see that. But it also he's also saying things that are quite specific. He's revealing something in the fig tree that is representing something that we need to take note of. And so let me point out a few things to you. In Matthew 21 through 25, you have a record of the teaching of the Lord Jesus during the last week of his life in Jerusalem before he goes to the cross and dies on the cross. And in those passages, there are seven parables that the Lord Jesus pronounces. And each one of those parables indicates some important element or concern regarding the kingdom and its coming and his demand or call upon those before the kingdom comes. He's looking for them to be on guard, and he's looking for them to be looking, but he's also looking for them for repentance and a turning to him. And so there are these seven parables, and this parable comes right in the middle of those seven parables. And it fits, it should fit, we should see that it fits into a pattern. In Matthew chapter 21, when the Lord Jesus comes, there's another thing that we need to kind of add into the mix in understanding what this parable means. When the Lord Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the people are rejoicing and they're throwing palm branches before them and they're excited because they think he's going to come to throw off the power of Rome, that he's going to establish himself as the Messiah. And by the end of the week, they're stunned because he doesn't bring his judgments and pronunciations against Rome and Roman powers. Instead, the whole week long, he brings his pronunciations of judgment against Israel, against Jerusalem. They think he's coming to rescue Jerusalem and judge the world, and he comes to say that he's announcing judgment upon Jerusalem, and they're a little bit discouraged by this. In fact, by the end of the week, instead of greeting with palm branches, they greet him with the phrase, crucify him, crucify him. Because he didn't give them what they wanted. He didn't give them what they expected. 
He pronounced judgments upon them. We have to recognize that as well. And he pronounces his judgments upon them and the leaders because they don't repent of their sins and they don't turn to God. That's the overall message. So what do we say about this passage, the fig tree? And I'll simply say this. The fig tree is not simply a figure lesson of putting two and two together to make four. The fig tree stood for something in itself. It stood for Israel. And it stood for Christ's mission and Christ's concern for Israel. It stands for the appearance of Israel at the end of history when Christ is coming. He is anticipating that the Jews will be, he's just said in Luke chapter 21, you'll see that he says that Israel will be desolated and that Jerusalem will be tramped upon by the Gentiles. And this will continue until the time of the Gentiles is over with. But now in this passage, the Lord Jesus is indicating that Israel will be back and reconstituted in the land and that God will still have a plan for them and they will be embroiled in the intrigues of the tribulation period. And So let me build a case for this so you understand this. First thing I want you to see here is that the prophets used the fig tree as a figure of Israel. If you go back and look in Jeremiah chapter 24, for example, Jeremiah is prophesying a judgment that's coming upon Judah. And in that prophecy, he presents the unrepentant nation and those who were unrepentant in the nation as spoiled figs, as bad fruit because they have not brought forward repentance. And because of that, God is about ready to come upon them in judgment and they're about ready to experience sword and famine and pestilence. He also speaks of good fruits or good figs in chapter 24 of Jeremiah 7. And these are individuals, he says, who will know God because they will return to God with their whole heart. In other words, they're good figs because they'll repent and they'll turn back from their sin and they'll turn to God. And so there's the bad fruit which are unrepentant and there are the good fruit that are are repentant. And that's the portrait of Israel in the image of the fig. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.